What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs and Dre Harris from the Draft Network. And we are your hosts here on this live episode of Takes on Takes. It's Monday night. If you're watching live, it's Tuesday in your podcast feed. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Dre, good to have you, my dude. Hey, man. Thanks for having me again. Uh, great to be here. Excited to, to take some takes on, man. Let's take go. on some takes, baby. Let's yes, do it. Absolutely. I like that. Take We're on gonna some take takes. on that, the takes. That's the new show <laughs> description. So, like, he's got to come back every week now. Hey, I love it. All right. Well, we got some stuff in the bullpen to get us started here. As the spicy stuff comes in from the, yeah, we're relying on everybody in the comments. Go ahead, yeah. send us some hot takes now. Dre's first live bullets. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. serve them up nice. Um, hey. This one's nice because. Dre's a bit of an expert on the AFC West, and so this one is spicy regarding the AFC West. It comes from Jason, and Jason says, Jerry Judy will have more 40-plus yard touchdowns this season than Tyreek Hill. Wow. Well, listen, I like the things that they've done uh, in Denver here uh, within the past uh, within the past draft. I think they've added some good pieces. I think they'll surprise some teams uh, in their conference and could be a dark horse team uh, for a wild card spot. But I'm going to disagree for a combination of these things. I think Broncos have another deep attack in KJ Hamler, uh, who's a dynamic guy. Um, I think they all they also have probably a more balanced attack with Gordon and Lindsay uh, in the backfield. So I think with Tyreek's uh, run after the catch ability is unparalleled, and, and with Patrick Mahomes' ability to extend plays, um, all of that for me gives a nod to Tyreek. Uh, so I think that uh, Tyreek will have more forty plus yards plays than uh, than, than Mr. Judy. I will say this: I like Jerry Judy a lot. But I'm with Dre. You got to be nuts to bet against Tyreek Hill on 40 plus yard touchdown plays. Yeah, yeah, he's like historically good at that. I, I mean, not in year one, not not in year one. I I think I think this is disrespectful to Tyreek Hill, and I love Jerry Judy, oh, man. Pound the table, man. There it is. Slabs. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Slabs McGee. We're going to uh, go with the Yannick and Gakwe take here. It, okay. It's simply this. The Yannick trade is good value to both sides and fits where each team is in their life cycle. Kyle, isn't it beautiful to see terms like life cycle? Life cycles and, and justifying trading. Now, right. I know what Dre Harris is going to say. He's going to say there is no justification for <laughs> sending good players out of your building for draft picks, especially a two and potentially three, because, Dre, we just talked about this today with Jacksonville. you got to hit those picks. But generally speaking, with where Jacksonville is, I think it does make sense that if they're being honest with themselves, they're not close to competing. So if you don't want to pay that contract, you know, it gives you more flexibility moving forward. That's how you can justify it. And I think that's exactly how Jacksonville fans should look at this trade. Sure, sure. And I think I try to, you know, I try to approach it from three different perspectives. Uh, I look at first, uh, you know, the player, um, a couple things come to mind. One, he willingly took a pay cut of nearly uh, six million dollars to get out of Jacksonville. You know, he literally left the state of Florida for the state of, of 
Minnesota. So allow that to sink in uh, for a few seconds. Uh, not to mention the <laughs> money he's losing and leaving a city that doesn't necessarily have state tax. Um, so uh, furthermore, at the start of the uh, training camp last year, I think Jacksonville offered him about 19 million per, and he turned that down uh, and played uh, last year for $2 million. That's at least $17 million you'll never get back. But then from Jacksonville's perspective, your 2017 defense had some dogs, man. Like they went to the conference championship game. That defense had, had Calais Campbell and Gakwe, Jalen Ramsey, uh, Bouye, uh, Barry Church, uh, Darius, uh, Dante Fowler, um, Gibson. Seven of, those, seven of those players were Pro Bowl players at one particular time or another uh, and have been cut or traded here within the last two years. So if talent acquisition is, your, is the lifeblood of your team, uh, then keeping and being able to, to, to develop assets uh, has, has got to be a critical part of the process. So, you know, there's that side. And, and my question for the Vikings is you're already up against the cap and, and he's made it clear that he wants a new deal. You still have to pay guys like Harris and, and, and Dalton Cook. Um, and you can't renegotiate with Ngakwe until the spring. So um, I, I, are you going to be able to re-sign him or is it going to be a one-year rental for a second and a fifth? I can't. My take is out of the three guys that you mentioned, we have Yannick Ngakwe, mm-hmm. Anthony Harris, mm-hmm. and Dalvin Cook. I think the least likely guy to come back out of that trio is Dalvin Cook. Mm. As it should be. Running backs. Paying them. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I would agree. To some degree, I mean, but it would. I think that it would be a, a tragedy if this was just a one-year rental uh, for the Vikings. But I do think that that gives them two, you know, elite pass rushers, and uh, it, and and it gives them a formidable front and uh, and see what they can uh, they can do with that. So, yeah, it's a shame that we lost Michael Pierce too, right? I mean, he opted yeah. out, and he obviously made a decision that he felt like was best for him. And you know, every player, you know, more power to them for making that decision, but. Right. You think about what, you know, heaven forbid this is a one-year rental for Minnesota like Dre you're talking about. You think, man, like we get Pierce in there, we get Jan, we get Daniel Hunter. Like you're real scary up front all of a sudden. It doesn't matter if they got that big man crush on Shamar Steven or or anybody else that's playing that other defensive tackle spot because those three dudes are, are real plus assets. Yeah, they can get after quarterback for sure. Here's a spicy one that deals with uh, a West Coast player. Last year's tight end class was kind of underwhelming. So this one's spicy from Michael from the premium slack. Michael, a big Patriots fan, as he lets us know all the time. All the time. All the time. He said, Devin Asiasi will have the best statistical year of any tight end from this draft class based on how much the Patriots utilize a tight end, how many times Cam throws to a tight end, and the fact that Asiasi is tight end one for the New England Patriots. I'm going to have to agree. Um, I think that uh, especially when you think about the inconsistency uh, that New England has at wide receiver with Harry being hurt, and and and, and certainly there's some uncertainty uh, at the quarterback spot uh, in New England, and with Asiasi being tight in one, um, that that isn't necessarily a far fetched. I was actually inclined to say Troutman, but uh, he may not start with uh, Jared Cook being there uh, uh, with the Saints. And clearly Sean Payton has proven to be able to get their tight ends uh, involved in the passing game, um, and they play well there. So I, I would have to agree it may be Asiasi, but it would not surprise me if Adam Troutman in New Orleans had the better career. 
trying to who who are we forgetting here? Are we forgetting anybody here? Cole Komet was tight end one off Cole. the board. Yeah, sure. I don't think he's prime for I. I would generally say Michael's on the right track with New England's usage of tight ends. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think he's calling he's barking up the right tree here. Even though you know his Patriots Homer isms know no <laughs> bounds in the previous life. It's okay. We still love him. We still love Patriots. Them. They, they picked two of the first four tight ends off the board. So Komet with the Bears <laughs> first. Asi Asi Deguara Josiah Deguara went to the Packers and then Keen to the Patriots. Troutman Saints and then Harrison Bryant to the Browns. So yeah. It's, this could happen here. If you guys have been following Draft Dudes for any amount of time, you know about our affinity for Built Bar. Built Bar has constructed the best protein bar for my money on the face of the planet. But not only that, they have totally revamped their formula. This product was one that us here on Draft Dudes, we have pounded the table for in the past But they weren't willing to rest on their laurels. They have completely remodeled their product. And these Built Bars are delicious. So whether you are looking for a post-workout meal, you're on the keto diet, you want a healthy snack, these protein bars are checking in under 200 calories per bar. You've got almost 20 grams of protein. You've got one-seventh of the grams of carbs and sugar of a typical protein bar. Built Bar has something for everyone. And right now you can use promo code locked on to get $10 off your next order at builtbar.com. So go to builtbar.com, find out what all the fuss is about for yourself and use promo code locked on to save $10 off your next order. Guys, yeah. I don't know if you've had a chance to see the breaking news that just came through. Uh, wow. Derwin James needs knee surgery. He is out for six to eight months. That's the year. Pretty much. And it's just totally brutal, man, where, like, he was so good his rookie year, and then he got hurt last year. And, man. The torn ACL the second was junior year, right, or second to last year in college. Yeah, yeah, I know there was some medical stuff with him coming out of Florida State, too. So, you know, this is – we're starting to hit rocky road here. And and lower body injuries like this – it's not not too promising, but uh, hopefully this isn't a, a continued trend beyond this year. But hard luck for the Chargers, the most snake bitten injury team in the NFL now. It's, oh it's confirmed. They they've had to deal with so much adversity, man. And, and James is such a great player. You know he's young, um, but again, your best ability is your availability. And if you, you know, I mean, he hasn't proven to be able to stay, uh, stay on the field, but he's such a good player, man. You play a guy everywhere. Um, and it's just a, an unfortunate thing uh, for the Chargers. So, Joe, what's your biggest takeaway here? I hope Nasir Adderley's ready because I, I mean I don't know that it, it's not the same type of role, but you know this is going to accelerate his opportunity to contribute. I know Rayshon Jenkins played a ton for them last year, so we we've been very complimentary of the depth that the Chargers have on defense, especially on their secondary. And this was a really good pass defense last year without Derwin. And they add Chris Harris Jr. to the mix here. So they still got they still got pieces, but I think you really lose out on the ceiling of what this Chargers defense and, and pass defense could be. And they need this player, man. The tight ends in this division are so good, man. You got Noah Fant, you got uh, Kelsey, you got Darren Waller caught, what, 90-something passes last year. Like, this is the type of player that you need in this division. And and um, 
I, you know, I didn't necessarily that think the Chargers were primed to compete, but I thought the strength of their team was their defense. And obviously this is a hit, but unfortunately we're, we're becoming used to the Chargers without Derwin James, and that's a problem. Joe, uh, Dre is very much after your heart with the best ability is availability. Joe has dropped that line dozens and dozens and dozens, dozens of times on this podcast. So yeah. it's uh, it's only fitting that our third draft dude is well-versed already. It's true, man. And Joe's the best, man. I mean, so if I can, uh, if I can steal something from Joe, man, I'll take it for sure. Let's see. How about a Carolina Panthers take for Joe? The Panthers have the worst offensive line in the NFL. I already see some, some looks here from my colleagues. So who wants to go first here? I want to take this. I don't think that, I don't think they do. I think they have a bad offensive line. Bad. But if Okung and Moton are healthy, that's a good that's actually a good pair of tackles. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest, and that's a good pair of tackles. Paradis was a disaster last year, but hopefully he's healthy now and he can be a reasonable starting center for them. John Miller has been a reasonable starting guard in the league. Now that that other guard position's real real nervous, especially if like Michael Schofield is going to be the guy to claim the job. Could be Dennis Daly. So like I feel better about that than I do the Rams. I, I mean I'm, I'll, I'll say that the Rams are in trouble, man. I mean, they they they're in trouble up front. Uh they have two aging tackles. Uh Einstein is getting is getting old. He uh, he didn't play well this past year. I think that the Rams would definitely be competition for the worst offensive line uh, in the National Football League, man. And it's really unfortunate um, because they have a young, uh, what they believe to be a franchise quarterback in Jared Goff. Um, but you got to be able to, to protect, man. I mean, so um, I know that uh, the Carolina uh, has some uh, has some has had some adversity with their line, uh, but geez, man, the Rams are they're in a tough spot, man. They're in a really tough spot. Dre, I would ask you if you would give any consideration, and obviously scheme and, and style of play kind of helps mask offensive line issues in some places, but another one of the teams that you're responsible for regionally across our pro scouting, the Arizona Cardinals. You, know, you think about that offensive line, and obviously they made the decision to bring back D.J. Humphreys, but the only notable addition they made on the offensive line was drafting Josh Jones in the third round, who's a developmental kind of tackle in his own right, you know, pretty athletic, but not very polished. Where do you think they rank on that spectrum of like Carolina and the Rams and so on? Well, you know, I think that they had, uh, they have, uh, uh, Marcus Gilbert who decided to opt out at, uh, at right tackle. They brought in Kelvin Beecham, uh, and Justin uh, Miller to compete at the right tackle spot. But I think they're counting on continuity, uh, with, uh, with TJ Humphreys. They paid him, uh, to be a left tackle. Um, he hasn't lived up to his first round, um, to, to his first round, uh, first round play, um, but he has uh, he showed some signs of improvement uh, uh, this past year. Although I believe he was second in the league in penalties, um, so they they have the same uh, left tackle that is going to be back, and of course they have Cole and a few of the guys on the interior. But I think they're banking on continuity, man, and continuity of the entire unit, um, and, and and sometimes an individual unit uh, if they play well collectively sometimes greater than the sum of the individual parts. And so uh, I, I think it, uh, I think it would also help them, the offensive line play, uh, if Kyler can uh, not take as 
any sacks that he was responsible for uh, this past year. So all of that, and with some continuity, I think they're banking on having a better uh, offensive line, having more production from from the offensive line than they had this past year. Hey, Kyle, yes. defend, your, defend your Dolphins. The educator <laughs> came in here and said that the Dolphins have the worst offensive line, and I want to hear what you have to say about that. They do not. They where, do, have, where does it rank, though? I want to know where you think this ranks. It's probably bottom six, okay. bottom eight. There's plenty of potential in this group. And that's – I've talked about this quite a bit looking at the Dolphins and how they've chosen to attack this offseason. Really impressed with the, the consistency with the vision that they're looking at, where they brought in – Austin Jackson, who's 325 pounds. They brought in Eric Flowers, who's 342 pounds on the updated roster. They brought in Ted Karras. He's the smallest start on the offensive line. He's like 318. They drafted Solomon Kinley in the fourth round. They traded up to get him. He's 339 pounds. And they drafted Robert Hunt, who's 324. Like, beef. A lot of power at the point of attack. And they bring in Jordan Howard to play in the running back position. And I think with the Chan Gailey style of offense, kind of the same thing that I was alluding to with Dre with Arizona, this is not an offense that's going to do a bunch of seven and nine step dropbacks and going to push the ball vertically down the field. They're going to space you out. They're going to run RPOs. They're going to run downhill against light boxes. And if you get that conflict defender that's standing out on the hash and he triggers into the box, we're going to pull it. We're going to throw the slant behind him in the first window. That's how they're going to operate this offense. And because of that quickness to release, I think they're going to be able to mask some of the pure protection issues that they might have in having raw offensive tackles, whether it's Jesse Davis at right tackle or Robert Hunt. And then you'll probably have Austin Jackson right from the jump starting from the get-go. But these guys are big, they're long, they're physical. So I think stylistically there's enough there that can mask and prevent this team from being what it was last year, which I think it was like out of 157 qualifying offensive linemen, the best graded Miami Dolphins offensive lineman last year was like 145th. Like they were terrible last year. You can't get any worse than they were last year. So I think they're moving in the right direction. We had an interesting take here from Cam. I wanted to get both of your opinions on. I'll start with you, Joe. Micah Parsons officially entered into this draft class. He's not going to play no matter when Penn State and then the Big Ten decide that they're going to play football. Micah Parsons is closer to Derwin James than Jalen Smith. Joe, you want to go? I guess I I don't like either one of these names being mentioned with Micah Parsons. I don't I don't think Jalen Smith's a good comp. I mean, I certainly don't think Derwin James is a, is a good comp. I think I mean, I like Micah Parsons as, as like a true Mike linebacker, a very instinctive guy, understands run fits, um, can flow sideline to sideline. I don't think there's any limitations to what he can do. I don't think he's like a see-and-chase type player. I think he's very complete. And so, I mean, Derwin, I, if you want to say like from a versatility perspective, Derwin, like that he's more similar to Derwin because he checks the versatility box like I don't think Jalen Smith does. But these wouldn't be names that I would dump when it comes to discussing Micah Parsons. Yeah, um, if I had to choose uh, out of the two names, I think he's closer to Jalen Smith than he is to to, 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 to Derwin James. I actually uh, evaluated uh, Jalen Smith when he came out, and he was it was some of the best tape I've ever seen. I mean. The guy was a complete athlete, fast, downhill, instinctive, uh, tough, physical. He had everything uh, that, 
that you want um, in an ideal uh, linebacker uh, prior to the injury. And I think that he's uh, he's recovered well. But as far as an athlete and being able to uh, play and line up in anywhere and so forth, I think he's closer to Jalen um, pre-injury. Uh, uh, in the tape that I saw of him coming out than, uh, than to Derwin James. I think that's the the biggest thing that I would ask myself is, okay, can I see Micah Parsons lining up against Keenan Allen and covering one-on-one in practice the way that Derwin James was doing on Hard Knocks? I don't think so. He ain't covering <laughs> – Micah Parsons ain't covering one of the best route runners in football, right? So that iron sharpens iron uh, dynamic with what they have there, and that was really fun to watch on Hard Knocks. Micah Parsons is interesting for me because I think he's – his pass coverage isn't a strength, and I think that's something that is similar to Jalen Smith. But I think Micah Parsons can be much more dynamic on third downs as an attack-type player and getting home in blitzes and pressures. And and that's really where, you know, the, the third down for values, that's what separates a guy from being a top-10 pick. And you think about some of these guys that are going really early. They have value on third downs, whether it's in coverage or as pressure players or a guy who's an end of the first round, early second round type player. And, and Jalen Smith, for what he is, the limitations that he has in coverage as a side is good sideline to sideline range. He's instinctive. He gets into fits really well. He's got good anticipation between the tackles. You just don't want him out in space all that much. And I think Micah Parsons is a little bit of a better athlete uh, than, than what Jalen Smith has become after his injury and the recovery to it, as Dre pointed out. Uh, but I think he's got a little bit more – ceiling to him as a pressure player. And I that's I really want to see Micah Parsons go to an aggressive defense that schemed pressures or or schemed overloads, right? Where we might bring four, but we're going to bring four on this side and we're going to drop out on this side. So that way we got you in a numbers game because of our pre-snap look, if you slide protection the wrong way, you know, those opportunities to, to craft and manufacture pressures, I think Parsons playing forward and passing down where you'll really do him the most service. Let's see here. What do we got? Oh, the Sean Black. A little bit of slander for OBJ. Odell Oof. Beckham Jr. is the most overrated wide receiver in the NFL. Who has thought here? Dre does. He's getting ready. Yep. Blasphemous. It, bring up the term blasphemous. Listen, man. Odell Beckham Jr. is a dynamic player. He's a very, very good receiver. I would say great receiver, but he's but like with certain players, you have to put them in the right system, you know, uh, within the right scheme, have uh, have a consistent guy that throws him the football and be able to have a coordinator who can call certain plays to accentuate uh, your, uh, your strengths. Um, so he just hasn't. Uh, of course, he's been injured some here within the past few years. So it's going to be interesting to see him play. Uh, in Cleveland, and if they can protect uh, Baker up front uh, for long enough to be able to get the ball to him and Jarvis, man. But to say he's the most overrated in the NFL, I think that is – I think I disagree with that. Um, he's a very good player. Uh, but, again, he's been hurt, uh, and I don't think he's been in ideal situations to highlight his strengths. Um, as far as the player and the attributes, he's very good, man. Kind of struck me as, like, they made a lot of lame efforts to just try and feed him the ball – last year you know and he, he got his targets but it's like are we really getting him his targets in the way in which he would be best suited to to get his targets and to eat and it just kind of felt like 
you know, from the top down, they, they really didn't have the chemistry and everybody wasn't on the same page the way they needed to be to operate at a high level. Yeah. Most overrated receiver in the NFL isn't Odell, Odell Beckham Jr. It's Julian Edelman. Correct. <laughs> You're here talking about Hall of Fame resumes. Dre, I don't right. know if you bought that episode of the show. But we we poor Julian – I won't say poor Julian Edelman. The dude's like starting NFL wide receiver. He's won the Super right. Bowl. All right. We hammered this dude. We're like, there's people <laughs> saying that Julian Edelman Hall of Fame resume. We went through the list of – how many guys have put up better numbers than Julian Edelman that aren't in the Hall of Fame? Now, if you want to say that that catch against the Falcons was a Hall of Fame moment, okay, yeah, the ball's this far off the ground, right? But to say <laughs> that Edelman is a Hall of Fame resume at this point, I ain't buying it. No. Not buying no, it. Uh, I certainly wouldn't say that either. <laughs> I couldn't see that. But that's here scrolling through here's a good one from a bellow take trey lance performs poorly or badly in his one game north dakota state playing the showcase game against central arkansas is that who they're playing against yeah, yeah our bears our bears joe wants some money with central arkansas yeah. over the weekend so he's a nice big, big bears pet. fan my guy <laughs> and Abello says because he plays badly he drops out of the top 10 in next year's draft I don't think Thoughts? so. I, I, no? I, no, look, look, NFL teams are smarter than this. I know they don't, don't get everything right, but they they saw Trey Lance in a normal year last year. They know the player that he is. You're not going to throw away everything that the man accomplished last year and the skill set that he showed because he got together for one random October day to play against Central Arkansas in a situation where you just cannot possibly be in your best moment right just because you haven't had any of the normal circumstances to prepare for the game there's just no way that you're going to put all it, it it can't be that meaningful of a game for him yeah, so no matter have, how he plays whatever you thought of him going into the year should continue to be your stance yeah i mean like you you, you should never be an instant scouter man or like someone who uh who bases your sole opinion on one single game i mean uh, it's always about the body of work and and uh certainly he has a tape he's performed well i think that evaluators uh would certainly like to see him improve in certain areas and this year would have been great for him to do that but to say he would drop out of the top 10 based off of one game i think that's incorrect uh, I think that the traits are still there. He does have some areas that he needs to clean up for sure. Um, but I think that uh, teams would bank on the fact that uh, he is a young player. And just think about um, all of the factors that are incorporated into this game, a COVID year and, and, and all sorts of things. So, no, I don't think he drops out of top ten. Cooler heads prevailing here on Draft Dudes. I have one more take, guys, and then we have some announcements regarding – uh, the rookie bracket challenge powered by Panini. Uh, we are advancing to the Sweet 16. The fan voting starts tomorrow. Uh, so we're going to announce the winners here at the end of the show. But first, from one of our European friends, Rahul, was just on, did a, uh, a Madden franchise draft class with him over the weekend and some of our other TDM Premium Slack members. Uh, Rahul wants Dre to join and hold scouting Ask me anything sessions in the TDM premium slack. Dre, can we get a formal commitment from you one way or the other? I absolutely would. I mean, if, if, if the fans want it and uh, Kyle and Paige say it's okay, let's rock. I'm down for it. Done. Absolutely. I have a take. 
I have a take. <laughs> Kyle Krabs said, ask me anything's over AMAs because he didn't believe Dre Harris knew what AMA stood for. <laughs> no. No. Did you, Dre? Honestly, I didn't know what AMAs is. I, I, I won't even lie. I did not. I'm sitting there looking like, AMAs? What is that? Is it like so, a uh, <laughs> guy bailed you out? He knew it. Award? No, it's for the people at home that can't right. see the screen. You know, if I said just on the podcast, there's people that aren't watching this, they're going to be like, what? Yeah. So, okay. Um, let's let's announce some of these winners. I am going to pull up the bracket and we're going to announce the winners from the round one matchups. As I said, the fan voting for this starts tomorrow at noon uh, when we drop the bracket. Uh, but this has been a really fun kind of kickoff series that Joe and I started yesterday. And now we're going to have everybody get in on all the action and help us decide who the winners are. So we had divided, if you missed the stream yesterday or the Monday edition of Draft Dudes, we took one rookie representative from all 32 teams and we divided them into four regions, offensive backfield, trenches, wide receivers, and defensive back seven. We seeded them. We are deciding who advances from the round of six or 32 to 16. And from the sweet 16 onwards, it's all on the fans. You guys got to show up and vote for your teams. Now, Joe Burrow and AJ Dillon was the first, the one and eight matchup in the offensive backfield region. There's no upsets here. Joe Burrow is advancing to the sweet 16. Justin Herbert, Cam Akers, the four and five matchup. Cam Akers probably going to have a bigger opportunity in year one. He gets the nod. He's going to pass because the entire objective of this is who are the most high-impact rookie breakouts of 2020, not long-term. Dre, you're going to be very happy to know that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the three-seed in this region, is advancing past Zach Moss, Joe's <laughs> Buffalo Bills running back, and will face two-seed Tua Tungavaloa, in the Sweet 16, Tua is mm. defeated the seven seed Jonathan Taylor. Now, mm. Joe and I both said yesterday that our pick to win the whole thing is Clyde. So we'll see. In the trenches region, one seed Chase Young defeats Ross Blacklock of the Houston Texans. Number five seed Makai Becton defeats Derek Brown of the Carolina Panthers. So Chase Young versus Makai Becton. Jedrick Wills defeated Tristan Wirfs. That was a close one. And Cesar Ruiz, seven seed, upsetting. Thanks to some unanimous choices amongst the TDN staff. Uh, Joe, our sleeper lives on. Cesar Ruiz advancing to the Sweet 16. The other two brackets, we'll do wide receivers and we'll do back seven real quick and we'll get out of here. Jerry Judy, one seed, Denver Broncos advances. Henry Ruggs, wide receiver, Las Vegas Raiders advancing past Jalen Rager. Justin Jefferson of the Minnesota Vikings advancing past Brandon Ayuk, and C.D. Lamb advancing past Chase Claypool into the Sweet 16. Jeff Akuda, A.J. Terrell, Patrick Queen, and Isaiah Simmons are our winners in the back seven region, so those will be our Sweet 16 participants, and the bracket will be updated, and the polls will launch tomorrow, as I said, at noon, so make sure you guys swing over to the Draft Network Dot com. You can find all the polls in the actual article, or you can find them on social media as well. So that's going to do it for us today. 
30 minutes of takes on takes. We, um, what did Dre say at the top of the show? What'd you say? What are we doing? Take on We're takes. We're taking on takes. We took on some takes here on this fine Monday <laughs> evening, and we had a blast. So we hope you guys had a fun time either watching, those of you who watched along with us, those of you who are tuning in, listening to the podcast on Tuesday. Tell me, man, come on. Monday nights, 8 p.m. Come check us out. Have a good time. We have a good time. We always enjoy interacting with you guys. And uh, Kyle Krabs signing off with Dre Harris and Joe Marino of the Draft Dudes podcast. Thank you guys for listening and watching, and we hope to see you again soon.